So instead of like, oh, I'm successful because I lost 10 pounds, it's like, maybe I can be successful because I did something to, to bring me back to middle a little bit more. That was Jeff Percienti, and this is The Prime Podcast. It's time to find your prime. Yeah. You ready? <laughs> hey. Let's go. And welcome back to another episode of the Prime Podcast. Today we have Jeff Percienti. Oh, wow. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. I got a wink yeah. for all of you who are auditory. <laughs> I think we're all auditory here. I don't think anyone has a camera in here, but. We could be hiding one. Okay. But either way, right? So Jeff's last name, if you when you see it spelled in the, in the bio, you're going to be like, well, oh, that's how you say that. <laughs> so I've been practicing. I've been practicing. Thank you. And so what, what we're going to talk about here, I'm really excited because Jeff and I always have, you know, how long we've known each other now? Oh my God. Three, it's four, been, five years. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, you were at the smaller, I say studio gym. And I think I, I showed up a couple months after you, you opened, right? Yeah. So we're talking oh, probably five years then. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was working at Utica college back then. So yeah. Yeah. So five, five years. years. And anytime we've had a chance to talk about any sociological issue, hmm. Or things that are happening in the fitness world, yoga, CrossFit, challenge life, weight loss, any of those things. We always have great conversations. So might as well bring these great conversations to life and have the, give them a home to live in. We could probably talk for five hours, but we're going to try to limit it to yeah. 60 minutes. Yeah, four hours. <laughs> four maybe. hours, maybe. And Tori's hanging out with us, too. And she's here to laugh and have fun because she also loves conversations with Jeff and thinks Jeff is hilarious. Will you laugh for us? Right now? Yeah. Say something funny. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> something funny. Rapid weight loss hypnosis for women. <laughs> Thank you. There we go. There we go. And, and this is where we're going to go. So we're going to d- go down the path, uh, a little bit of history with Jeff, kind of where, if you're not familiar with Jeff, he teaches yoga. He was in charge of a local studio here in the Utica area. He moved down to New York City, was teaching yoga there, and then kind of quarantine, COVID hit, and brought him back to us upstate. And I'm going to let him dive into his journey a little bit with all the different things that have happened. And now changing gears a little bit to go back to school and study um, to be a social worker. Social work. So. You know, talking about those sociological conversations uh, mm. fits right into kind of the things that we always have passionate conversations about. So, Jeff, welcome to the show. And let's get some background and how this all started with the fitness landscape and then how now we're switching gears into the social work. Yeah. Thank you. So my story. So I started out. What I mean, I, I would say I would say everything before age 18, 19, we'll say, I would describe as being immobile. You know, I was, I had no interest in moving my body for the first 18 years of my life, Mm -hmm. which is very strange because now I do. There was this definite pivot toward 
movement. But before then, I couldn't be still for long enough. I <laughs> so you just like lay on your bed like I, a slug. Yes, I. I mean, I'm telling you, like I would watch Real Housewives marathons, which I still do. If one of them was on, I watched all of them. If it started at two o'clock and I'm like, oh, we're going to get to the finale at 10 p.m. I'm like, let me get a bowl of popcorn and a donut and dive in. Like, mm-hmm. I just had no interest in moving my body. And my parents were so aware that that was happening. And they were always saying, like, do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to take the dog for a walk? Do you want to go do this? And I'm like, not, no, no, I don't want to do any of that. Yeah. I just, I, but what I also noticed at the time was I was so covertly depressed. You know, I just had no interest in doing anything. Like I, I was having such a hard time in school, you know, not academically, but socially in school. And that translated physically or, you know, what they might say is somatically, mm-hmm. you know, like bullying in high school, not fitting in in high school made sense with going home and sitting right, and thinking and ruminating and overanalyzing. So movement didn't start until I was 19, maybe. I want to say it was my second year of college. I, and then I bought a book called naturally thin by Bethany Frankel. who's was a real housewife. Of I love City. her. I do too. I do <laughs> too. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's somewhere in a box, yeah. somewhere in a box. And it was a weight loss book, pure out and out weight loss book. And I liked it because she has, Tori, you probably know this just about her. Like Mm -hmm. she has this kind of funny, sarcastic, biting sense of humor. She's very practical. She's very logical. So she, the whole book was about like, eat what you want, but just know about it. You know, like if you want to have whole milk in your latte, that's fine. Just, just don't have five lattes. Right. You know? So then I just started subscribing to this and I started losing weight. So I was at 230 pounds and I started losing weight and it became addictive. Losing weight became very addictive. And at first I've lost a lot of weight at different points in my life. For sure. You know, the first big weight loss was 60 pounds. And then what I realized is that, you know, About 10 to 15 pounds in, people start to notice, and everybody thinks that you're some kind of saint if you lost weight. Oh, wow. You're you're really disciplined. You really turned your life around. You're a really good person if you lost a lot of weight. And then that feeling becomes addictive. You know, suddenly you were like this depressed teenager and now you're like, people are like, oh, wow, you're really great. So I kept going and going and going and going. And I lost 60 pounds to the point where my mom was like, okay, enough. Stop losing weight. And I was like, no, 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 no. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I can't go here. I can't do that. I I don't want to go here because this food's going to be here. Like I was governed by it right around that time. I was thinking like, okay, what are some different ways that I could lose weight? And one of them was yoga. So I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought the DVD yoga mat combo. 
I went in my basement and I did this Rodney on the beach yoga class like every night. And I was like, oh, I really like the way this feels, you know? So I kept going with that. And then there was no yoga studios around here at all. Zero. Well, I'm thinking like what year, I guess what year was that? So this would have been 2009. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah. So 12 years later, the fitness landscape in our area is very different now. Yeah. There was one yoga studio. It was just a little different from what I had, I was oriented toward, you know, it was a really great studio. It was just different from what I wanted. And so then I went to teacher training and I was like the one person in the teacher training who had no idea what I was doing. I was like, all these people were like doing handstands and, and drop backs and big back bends. And I like couldn't sit up, you know? So then, you know, I did my teacher training. I came back here and I started teaching up a storm and I would say it's the one truly like disciplined thing that I've not, that's not true. I'm going to not say that. I'm going to rewind. I have had a lot of disciplined things I've done in my life, but it's the one constant thing that I've done in my life. Like I've pretty much taught a yoga class at least once every single week for the last nine years. Awesome. Yeah. So thank you. I, I love it. I think it's life changing and it's also pointed me toward, you know, now that, now that COVID has kind of changed what yoga is and what yoga can be and what you can do and especially a career in yoga. Now I've pivoted toward the other aspect of it that I really liked, which was seeing people and helping people overcome mental obstacles. Would you say that, well, a couple of things I wanted to unpack in there. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the weight loss thing, was there any point in that where you, you felt that it was too much? Like when your mom said something or was that, what, what made you kind of stop chasing mm. that weight loss avenue? Mm. Is there anything that you can pinpoint or something where you were like, eh, I don't need to do this anymore? I don't think so. I think I was always trying to be smaller right? constantly. And I remember I actually look back at pictures of myself back then and my arms were so narrow. And I always had a belly, even though when I, even when I was like at 170 pounds, which is, you know, 30 pounds south of where I am right now, I still had a belly and I was always like, okay, well, clearly I need to lose 20 more pounds to get rid of my belly. And that just at 170, it was like, I was hitting the ground. Like there was just nothing else to dig out there. I right. just had no, you know, I, I couldn't eat less, you know? I mean, I was eating like a yogurt a day. <laughs> And I'm like, why isn't the scale going down? I'd get on the scale five, six, seven times a day. I swear to God, yeah. I was obsessed with it. So no, I don't think I, at that age, when I hit 170 at, you know, let's say age 21, <laughs> I would say the sky was the limit, but it was really like the ground was the limit. I couldn't, I couldn't lose enough weight. Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with it. And, and now this you know, helping people through yoga and helping people by changing, you know, the scope of what you're, you potentially going to do as a professional was that some of, some of that you think is rooted in kind of some of the challenges you went through both in high school, maybe the bullying, the, the depression, the different things that you struggled mm -hmm. with mentally and then finding yoga and finding some different avenues that have helped resolve or mitigate or navigate some of these things. 
Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is, and I don't know who the quote is, I think it might belong to Tony Robbins, Mm -hmm. but I heard it through uh, an interview with Jillian Tarecki, who's a yoga teacher and a relationship coach on Instagram, and I think she's fantastic. But she said that our greatest fear is that we're not enough, and if we're not enough, we won't be loved. And that was, when I heard that, I thought, that sums it up. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're going through high school and there's something wrong with you. Well, quote unquote. Yeah, I was gonna say there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that people, yeah. especially in in the high school that you were a part of, yeah, the perception of how people should behave or act or what boys should do or girls should do or this, that, and the other thing Precisely. is different. Yeah. You know, and depending on the situation or the circumstance or the environment that you're in. Yeah it could have been a different path. Yeah. I think I keep forgetting we're on a podcast and I did, I did air quotes, but people couldn't see. That's all right. We'll throw that in there. Yeah. Throw that in the air quotes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. When you are going through a social situation and you believe that something is wrong with you. Exactly. Yeah. And you're 16 and you don't know why there are a hundred kids in a class and they're all, they all seem to be doing life a little better than you. (laughs) then you develop this thing that you're like, I'm afraid that I'm not going to be loved. You know, I'm afraid that I'm not going to fit in. I'm not going to be accepted. And I think that that's something that we psychologically and socially are wired to do. You know, we're trying to fit in in some way. I don't think that means we're trying to be, we're not trying to conform necessarily, but you know, I mean, if you think about it in terms of, like animalistic behavior. I mean, the animal that doesn't in the pack that doesn't fit is the one that gets offed pretty fast. Right. You know, like you gotta, you gotta fit in in some way. Now I think you can diverge a little bit, but especially in high school, you gotta fit in. Yeah. It's and much it, more difficult. Yeah. Like I said, depending on the high school too. Yeah. It was kind of interesting because I, I came up on, I was like browsing Instagram last night, I think, and they were talking about cool as a currency. Mm. And he was saying how cool he was saying it. He compared it to like drug money. He's like, it comes fast and it goes fast. So like you can be cool for a little bit of time, but it has no, no long-term trajectory. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people who were like peak, you know, maybe they talk about peaking in high school. They were cool in high school. And now like, what are they doing now? Like, what are all the cool kids? You know, if you're listening right now, think of all the cool kids in high school. Like mm-hmm. what are they doing with their life right now? Yeah. Was it worth your time? Exactly. And energy and and feelings and emotional, but yes and no, because yes, because it brought you to the person you are today. And then no, because that, that time and energy spent on it at the time could have been maybe better served to help. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's always that, that catch 22, like to looking back is, you know, hindsight is 2020 type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that as when we think about fitting in, we think there's a behavior that has, there's a behavior that's linked to fitting in, you know? So I learned, and I've, I've been actually working on this myself a lot lately is that my fitting in defense mechanism is humor. Mm-hmm. And you notice it every time I come to this gym, yeah. I make some smart ass comment or I make fun of something or I make fun of the coach or I make fun of myself or I make fun of Tori. I make fun of Tori a lot. You know, or you put okay. a different comment on a poll. Yes. You know, like, <laughs> yes, precisely. Like, like, 
<laughs> Every yeah. poll we put on Facebook, Jeff adds his own answer. <laughs> it's always like really, really negative, you know? So Anthony would be like, do you want to do Murph, you know, and we'll do a cookout afterwards and tie dye shirts and people. And it's like, yes, no. And then I add God, no, or, oh my God, no. Yeah. Or, but you know, that to, like to call myself out is because I can't do Murph. So I'm going to make some smart ass comment about yeah. it to make it not about my own inability to do it, you know? And I think that there are other things that people do to fit in, whether it's to be quiet or to be um, aloof or to be really perfectionist or whatnot. But I think to circle it back to what we were talking about, I think that a lot of people think that weight loss will make them fit in. And feel better. And feel better. Which goes to back, if you feel like you, yeah. you're you a part of something, like you said, the, the Tony Robbins or the other, like that quote, yeah. if you feel, the, you know. Yeah, if I'm not enough, I won't be loved. You know, and I see it, I've seen it a million times in yoga classes when I see someone walk in who doesn't fit the stereotypical bill of the person that, and I'm using air quotes again, America, <laughs> yoga body, the way you should look, the way that this, the way you've seen it. Mm -hmm. And the looks in their eyes, they're always looking down. They always don't want to talk to anybody. They want to, they, they look for a place in the back. It's always the back of the room, always the back of the room. And the shoulders are forward. The chin is down. The posture is wilted. So that's something that I, I have a huge personal interest in is the way that the way that our social life looks in our bodies. Now, if you had to speculate, there's a couple of different things that in there that I want did you get a chance to listen to that series of podcasts I sent you? The weight loss? Probably no, no, not yet. So, I have an allergy to things that are called weight loss, but I should listen to it. So in there, I, I'm not 100% sure who the woman is, but she's a, a big bodied black woman mm -hmm. who described her experiences in yoga exactly like you just described them. And her, her message, her passion or her whatever is to change that mm -hmm. in her own life and how yoga is perceived and things like that. But in terms of the speculation, like, is that person, would you speculate that that person who's coming into a class who doesn't fit that quote unquote Lululemon model type person who's going to a yoga class, do you think they are one, either trying to look like that or two doing, you know, like, so it's like kind of like this, how do you get into, into the, the mind of that person? If they're in a position that's potentially hyper un uncomfortable for them. Because like you're saying, like all, their body language shows that this is not a comforting place for them. Mm -hmm. And any exercise, whatever it is for you, whether it's CrossFit, you know, boot camp, strength and conditioning, yoga, spin, cycling, those things are supposed to make you feel better. Mm. Like I, I wouldn't outwardly, personally anyway, I wouldn't outwardly go somewhere that makes me feel bad or uncomfortable mm -hmm. about myself, especially something that's supposed to make me feel better about myself. So then if you could speculate maybe like why would that that person potentially go to a class where they, you know, like what would be the, I guess the motivation or the incentive to go mm. if it, if their body language shows otherwise. I think it's because people want to see a shift. They want to belong somewhere 
different. Like I've always entertained the idea of going to like a kickboxing class, like a self-defense class or something along those lines. Now I am relatively, I would say pretty aware of my body and pretty aware of what my body can do and what it can't do. I would be scared out of my mind to go to that class. Right. Cause I don't belong there. Quote unquote. Right. I don't belong there. I don't belong. You know, a lot of people walk in there like, Oh, I, I can't do yoga because I'm not peaceful or I'm not calm or I can't meditate or I am not flexible. Oh my God. Every single day I hear this thing and all my yoga teacher friends are like, how do I even respond to this question anymore? Because people are like, I'm not flexible. I'm not flexible. I'm not flexible. I'm not flexible. It's the same thing as people coming in here. I'm not, I don't want to come here because I'm not strong. Mm -hmm. Well, you, if that's what you want, then that's why you're here. Right. And these things don't happen. Like you don't become flexible by taking one yoga class. Exactly. You You don't become strong by, by lifting, by squatting one day. And it doesn't need to be a prerequisite to showing up. Like you don't need to be flexible in order to go to a yoga class. And if your teacher is worth their salt, they should know. And I, I know that sounds harsh, but I mean that like 100% they should know how to talk to you around where you're mobile and where you're not, you know, that's one-on-one, you know, I've had a bunch of teacher trainings in my life and that's what I, that's the number one thing I underline is like, you have to talk to every person in the room in some fashion. Mm-hmm. I do think that at some point someone was sitting home and they're like, I want to try a yoga class. I want to try a class at prime. Why? Because I want something different than what is going on right now. I want to feel different from how I feel right now. My, my, Thing, like going back to what I said about the allergy around the weight loss thing is I think that that impetus for change masquerades as weight loss. Yeah. And I think it's, it's one of the other things about it too, is it's tan, it's kind of tangible, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a number, yeah. you have something that's measurable that you can see on a daily basis and things like that. And it gives you that sense of like, uh, I've achieved my goal, but I think we've talked about it on a couple of podcasts now that once you get to that point, your life doesn't really change all that much. Yes, maybe, you know, you've received a couple of compliments and you've received a couple of things, but that stuff kind of fizzles out after a while. Mm-hmm. And then you're just stuck with this, you know, the same like inner workings that you you had prior to your your outward expression of your body. Yeah. And I do think that the change part is important because if you want to make a change, if you want to do something different, like let's say if I'm surrounded, you know, they always say that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm. So if I'm, I would do want to make a change to my body, my lifestyle, my whatever, I do have to go to a place where people are doing the thing that I want to do. Mm -hmm. So if I want to be into yoga and I want to do whatever that yoga people do, meditate, relax, be flexible, look a certain way, whatever that might be, I have to go and do yoga, Mm -hmm. right? If I want to be strong, athletic, blah, 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 I might have to go to prime and take a class and start meeting other people who are doing something that I want to do. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely agree with that a hundred percent as well. Yeah. So the, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, spirituality and I don't know the other word for that spirituality again, underlined, um, <laughs> underlined bold, I tell underlined bold, I tell says, <laughs> around yoga. There's a lot of spirituality around yoga. And I think that people can pick when and if they want to apply that spirituality to yoga. However, I do think that there's one thing that, is universal and it's, I borrow it from the Buddhist idea. I mean, there's like 
some yoga is very, you know, rooted in Buddhism, but the idea around weight loss is that weight loss, like everything else is temporary. And this is where I'm going to sound like really like totally Eastern philosophy. So buckle up, but nothing lasts forever. For sure. Nothing lasts forever. This whiteboard that I'm looking at right now is not going to last forever. This microphone is going to fall apart sometime, someday, hopefully not now. This can of mixed nuts will be eaten at some point. And at the same time, the fact that I weighed 170 at one point in my life has changed. I didn't hold on to that. And the, my problem with weight loss culture is that people attach a meaning to weight loss. So when I lost 60 pounds, people thought that I was a good person. That you were a better person. Yes. Than you were 70 pounds heavier. Yes. Yes. They attached that signifier to it. You're awesome. And then I gained 30 pounds back. What does that mean now? Am I now not a great person anymore? Well, what happened? What happened to you, Joe? Yeah. You know, like, well, are you okay? Yeah. Did you, oh, he fell off the bandwagon or my favorite. He let himself go. Yeah. I wonder what's going on in his life. Maybe he's depressed. Maybe something bad happened to him. I wonder he couldn't keep the weight off. I remember I went to the dentist once after I had lost weight and I sat down in the chair and she was doing the whole thing with like the bib and whatnot. And she was like, wow. She goes, you really, you really kept the weight off. Yeah. My dentist, she cleans my teeth once every six months, Yeah, but she has a stock in what my body looks like. She has an opinion about what my body looks like. She remembers what my body looked like before. And, you know, we have this whole thing where we're like, we are very aware of what people's bodies look like and if they're changing or not. And we're really quick to compliment someone who's lost 20 pounds, but we are not quick to give anybody grace yep. when they, when they get him back. And this idea that if I do lose a lot of weight, there could be, it could be the other way around too. Like you could be depressed. Totally. You could be sick. sick. You could have so many other things going on and mm -hmm. you're, you're potentially praising somebody like, Oh, you look so great. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, but I'm just lost a significant other. I'm depressed. I can't eat anything. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so it's like this, we, we just talked about it before off air a little bit, you know, being careful about what we say to people and who we say things around mm. just to make sure like, yes, they, you don't know if they want to compliment or they want you to acknowledge their body size in any way, shape or form. It doesn't change who they are as a person. Mm -hmm. Like if they're muscular, like, you know, we don't put people like, Oh, if you're muscular, I think we've, we've talked about this in class before, like how people are put on a pedestal based on their athletic endeavors. Mm -hmm. We talked about this. Like if you're very athletic, you are somehow better than everybody else. Yeah. And if you're non-athletic, you're somehow lesser of a person than other folks who might be more athletic. And we put these you know, professional athletes and all these different people because of their capabilities with their bodies in a different landscape than, than normal people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that especially when you're in a leadership position in a fitness place, right? Like people think that I know things about life. <laughs> it's very, very weird as a yoga teacher when someone comes up to me and asks me for advice. Right. They're like, oh, you're not really struggling in my relationship. Like, what do you think I should do? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that question. And there's uh, there's a woman named Donna Farhi who's a really astute yoga teacher, and she's written a lot about the, the craft of teaching yoga. And she said that um, yoga students put 
yoga teachers in, and I'm always, I'm, I always forget the last one because I, I forget the last thing in a series when I'm trying to list it, but four archetypes. Mm-hmm. People think that the yoga teacher is a priest, a doctor, a lover. I got it. And a therapist. There you go. You got, got all it. four. I got all four. His, his, the light bulb. You just saw did the light you, bulb you probably, Yeah. Did you see my eyes light up? Cause I'm just <laughs> chronically, I, if someone was like, who's in the room, I'd be like Jeff and Tori and who, what? I would, I can't remember the last of things. I, I mean, I'm intrigued, but I, I get the, the three of them, but I don't get the lover one. Yeah. Well, there's, <laughs> we won't get into this too much because we could talk <laughs> about this forever, forever, but there is such a sexual abuse storyline in yoga. Oh, okay. It's unbelievable. Like, I mean, we could talk about it for four hours, but I, if you're curious, Google it, everybody Every lineage of yoga has some story about some teacher who was inappropriate and either touched their students inappropriately during class or full on had sexual relationships with their students during class and it's blown up and there's scandals and in class. Um, so, so <laughs> not sex in class. Oh, okay. That would be, okay. that would like, be a that's different pretty, kind of yoga. Like, all right guys, I'll meditate right now. Hold on a second. Yeah. I'm going to go. Let me just, <laughs> let me just take care of business over here. No, but like, there's a lot of, um, stories about teachers touching people inappropriately, you know, like saying that like, Oh, you need to lift your pelvic floor. And then they go and with their hands, lift the person's pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. But at the same time, I do think that people who are in a quote unquote elevated position in fitness spaces get a lot of other job descriptions besides being the person who owns the gym, right. the person who teaches the yoga class, you know, got to wear a lot of other hats. You gotta, you got, suddenly people are like, Oh, I'm really depressed. And that's why I can't work out. Or I, I can't figure out how to do this thing. And it's making me feel really bad about myself. You know, I've been on both ends of that conversation. I, that's why I think we have even more of a responsibility to figure out how to help people in that way. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, you know, there's a, there's a line in yoga that I think it needs to be debunked and p- yoga people who are listening to this might take offense to this. So just, here we go. But there's an old saying in the Ashtanga lineage of yoga that says, do the practice and all is coming. And I do not believe that's true. I don't think that all is coming from doing one thing. It's like, go to prime, all is coming. Go to yoga, all is coming. No, I don't think that's true. I think that there's so, there's a lot of different ways that we can get happiness. But to say, all you got to do is is lose weight. All you got to do is do yoga. All you got to do is show up. I don't think that's it. Yeah, I mean, I'm reading Seth Godin's book, which is actually titled the practice really it's kind of funny and he does talk about that kind of ideology of just doing the work mm-hmm. and having a practice and if you i guess if you reframed it in terms of practice in terms of anything but i know this one was specifically tailored to yoga mm-hmm. that the thing will eventually happen yeah. that you're looking for and yeah. I, I would definitely say like yeah if you were just doing strength training or just doing yoga or just doing any sort of physical 
exercise or regiment that it would not, it might have, it might have some carryover. Mm -hmm. I would definitely agree that it does have some carryover into your day-to-day life. You know, whether it's giving you more confidence, giving you more self-belief in yourself and improving that can definitely carry over to other aspects of your life. Like Mm -hmm. if you're lifting weights and you, you know, left here and you deadlifted something that you've never deadlifted before and you feel good about it and you feel empowered and your self-esteem is boosted a little bit, it definitely has some carryover Mm. into the rest. Mm -hmm. Now, is it the end all be all? No, Mm. but I think it does have some carryover. And I think as you had said before, like that doing the practice of yoga and doing those things has potentially changed your life in the better. Yeah. Or the better. Yeah. Like, but again, it wasn't the only thing that you did that changed your life. Correct. Yeah. And I I think that there's a different landscape for different kinds of people. I do think that, you know, it's different for men and women speaking in the binary fashion. Um, I think it's different for people who are non-binary. I think it's different for people who are different for different races, different ethnicities. I, I don't think that it's, there's a sense that if you commit yourself to something like a workout regimen or a yoga practice or anything along those lines, that if you just do it and you do it consistently enough that everything will be fine for you. And that to me ignores systemic inequalities. You know, the reason I know that do the practice all is coming quote is from this uh, yoga teacher whose name is Alex O'Dare, who has an Instagram and she's hilariously funny, but she's also like, really scathing you know she'll really she's really calling things out but you know she'll call out these people who are saying do the practices all do the practice and all is coming for you know people the people who are most marginalized by our society the person who who doesn't have any money to buy food an ashtanga practice really isn't gonna fix it yeah (laughs) you know but i think it may not fix it I mean, but I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit, but I think giving somebody something to focus their energy on a little bit and not maybe, you know, overly think about some of the the things that are happening for a little bit to give them a sense of relief, a sense of structure, I think can be beneficial. Sure. Yeah. I think that in some ways, you know, if, if you're among the people who are most marginalized by society, I, I think it can be difficult to say to someone like, oh, just roll out a yoga mat and you'll be fine. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, mean, yeah I don't think that's going to be no. solve any problems. But I do think that there's some element of self care that like, yeah, my life blows right now. Can I, can I sit with myself and be kind to myself for 10 minutes? Yeah. Despite all of this, you know, that's why I think that, you know, yoga in prisons is becoming really huge right now. Interesting. In a great way, I think, because, you know, we think that people who are in prison don't deserve to be, to cultivate spirituality or self-love, you know? So my, one of my favorite yoga teachers regularly goes into prisons and she works with people. And I'm like, that's good. That's cool. And, yeah. And one of the things I do find is that the people who are struggling the most not even just being like marginalized, just like struggling with whatever's happening in their life. Their move, their daily movement is one of the first things to go. Mm. Oh yeah. This is absolutely for me. Yeah. So it's one of the things like you had said earlier on in, in your life when you were a teenager that, you know, if I'm depressed and I feel like garbage, I don't move. 
but movement can be one of the things that makes you feel better. You know, that yeah. self-love, that self-care. But I think a lot of times we, there's always that, that thing that's the first thing to go in the equation of your own self-care and taking care of yourself. And I think the daily movement for a lot of folks is that one thing that, you know, I just, they, they find the excuse, I don't have time to move or I don't feel like moving or, you know, but if you let your emotions dictate how you eat, how you much you move, or if you move and all those different things, then it gets you on this kind of downward spiral that it becomes more and more and more difficult to get out of. Mm -hmm. If you let that emotion drive your food choices, your movement choices or practice and so on and so forth. Yeah. I think that there's a, there's a very wise social worker in this area who I adore, who one time I um, said something, I said that to her, if I'm hearing you correctly, I said, you know, when I was talking about depression and I was like, I think that people can really help themselves with depression if they just move, if they just go for a walk, if they just you know, stretch something. And I felt very smart when I said that. And then she came back and she said, yeah, she goes, but sometimes it's just so hard for people to move when they're depressed. It's like the, the, the ability to just get off the couch is so difficult, which might kind of feed into the question that we were talking about before this, like, I want to change. I'm depressed out of my mind. I'm going to go to this gym where everybody or this yoga studio where everyone's doing the thing that I really want to be doing. But I was, I was nine episodes deep in real housewives and eating Krispy Kremes before I came here. Right. How do I show up here? But so if we're, if we're taking a step back to 18 year old Jeff Mm -hmm. and you were in a similar position because that's how you described that initial, like I was laying on the couch and I wanted to move as little as possible. Mm-hmm. What was the spark to, to move? Was it just continued weight loss? It was my mom's cancer diagnosis. So that, so a life, yeah. a life altering event. Totally. Yeah. What in um, social work they'll call it turning point. Right. So a turning point is something that alters your, what they call, what they call your trajectory. And I, it's called, it's, um, it's a perspective called the life, uh, the life perspectives. No, the life. Yeah. The life perspectives course. I hope God, I hope that's right. <laughs> I, I got an A in that class. So I hope I got it right. Yeah. Um, but it's the idea that, you know, your life is shaped by events right. and things that happen to you. And I think that when my mom got diagnosed with cancer, I was like, that was a turn, a pivot. If you're thinking friends mm-hmm. pivot, um, we were just talking about friends before this, <laughs> a pivot toward, so that event changed my trajectory. Now that there, I think a lot of people probably have something that changes their trajectory or something they might use to change their trajectory if they're on a path that they're not happy with. And I think those, those changes can go both ways too. Totally. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can use a breakup to build yourself or break yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that what happens is that we want to, we want to change. We go into a new environment to change. And oftentimes, like I said, it gets that, that incredible thing, that spark to change your life gets boiled down 
to a number on a scale. And I think that that's where the problem comes in. There's so many other determining values to how you're changing your life outside of 10 pounds, 15 pounds. That number on the scale is the easiest thing to see. It's really easy to see. And the easiest thing to notice. It's really measurable. Really measurable. And that's why I think that's why people grasp to that so much is because it's, like I said before, it's tangible. It's Mm -hmm. something that gives me a real life thing. I can't tell if I'm becoming a better person. I can't tell if Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, improving relationships and all these different things. But if that number on that scale is 10 pounds less, I got to feel better about myself, right? Yeah. And it's, and I think it's eventually a trap at some point. For sure. 100%. Someone's, you know, at some point you're going to gain it back and suddenly, I don't want to say that, but you know, maybe you'll gain it back and maybe you won't. Eventually something will change and that value won't be there anymore. I, I think there are some ways that when we have to get really studious with ourselves, like how can I measure if I'm being a better person? You know, do I react in the same way to a given stimulus? For example, I can't handle if somebody leaves me on red. I lose my mind. We've talked about this with relationship. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Anthony and I have had these like extensive conversations about, because I think I finally like decided after, after 32 years of thinking about it, that I'm an extrovert. Yeah. And I love introverts. Like I'm so compelled and attracted to introverts. (laughs) And when they don't respond to me, I lose my mind. I'm like, what's wrong? What happened to me? Like I go crazy about it. So what I'm, what I mean is that like, how do I measure if I'm a good, if I'm a better person or if I've improved is that like, okay, I'm not going to freak out if I get left on red. How much am I freaking out if I get left on red? How frequently am I freaking out if I get left on red? What about sleep? I feel like when people do, do people, I, I never, I've never, on, on occasions, if I'm thinking a lot of things through or if things are not going my way, I feel like sleep gets affected. Mm. I've you, always been a relatively solid sleeper. No matter what's going on? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's been times when I've been, I've had a couple of sleepless nights. I wonder because I, I, I always ask this people, people, this question, like, and I'll ask you when something bad happens in your life, do you get mad or do you get sad? Uh, I can't, I can't even think of a, <laughs> like a really bad thing. I, I'm so, uh, my emotions are very, like, I'm very stoic in my, mm. the way that I approach most things. So it's, it's really hard for me to either go on either end of the spectrum for, for many, many things. Yeah. But I would think I, for the most part, I would, I would probably be mad. Mad. Versus sad. Yeah. So I think mad would probably keep you up at night. Yeah. I could, I could see that, that, that like red or, you know, it's funny because we have this book and Kristen Bell wrote it. Mm, Okay. It's called purple people. Mm. And they talk about how purple is the best color because you can either be red or blue. And red is associated with anger and blue is associated with sadness, Mm -hmm. but you want to be purple. And they talk about how you become purple throughout the whole book. It's a children's book. And I've been reading it to my daughter, Abigail, just about every night, because when we have a new book, it's read multiple times a day for (laughs) for three weeks straight. So I can almost recite it verbatim at this point, but they talk, but I always find, and I tell Tori this all the time. Like I find inspiration anywhere. Mm. 
even in children's books, because some of the children's books are written like ama- uh, they're amazing. Children's books make me cry. Like they, they, they have the direct line to my emotional. Yeah. They're okay. amazing. And this is an outstanding book and it talks about being purple and, and it's okay sometimes to be red and it's okay to sometimes be blue, but you always want to try to be purple. Purple. And it was just really cool. And purple people come in all these different colors, shapes, and sizes. People, purple people aren't purple. They're, they're black, they're white, they're yellow, they're red, they're whatever. You know, they're all different colors, all different shapes, all different sizes. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside if you're a purple person on the inside. Mm, and it was, like just a, it was just a really amazing way to look at it. And I guess it makes sense because you can either be, like you just said, sad would be blue or angry or, or mad would be red. And like, I, I try to live myself somewhere purple. purple. Yeah. I think that, and this is my own hypothesis that I've never really tested, but I do think that, you know, uncontrolled, I think that people either go one way or the other. I think that if something bad happened, you know, if I lost my phone, I'm probably either going to get mad about it or I'm going to get sad about it. Mm-hmm. For me, I know about myself that I'm totally a blue person. I will get sad about anything. And now I'm realizing that neurologically speaking, and I'm talking science here, the, the, the neuro pathways towards sadness are more what we call myelinated meaning. So really basic neuroscience is that, you know, the brain fires electronic electrical signals through these nerves And that when you do one thing repeatedly for a long time, you know, like running, we'll say the, the pathway toward running, speaking broadly, gets myelinated or those pathways become metallic, more metallic. They're easier. It it makes more, your body flows better. Yeah. So the, the electricity goes faster to those spots. Yes. So my electricity goes faster to being sad. It's, I can feel, it's comfortable. It's like sitting in a big, cushy couch. I'm like, and I can, I, and it's an exhale. It's like, okay, this bad thing happened. All right. All right. Okay. Whatever. It always happens to me. I guess it's just the way it goes. What was me? Have you ever seen Inside Out? No, no, but I've seen a lot of pictures of it and I so identify with that blue one. (laughs) With sadness, that's sadness. (laughs) Yes. So they all play, they all play emotions. Yeah. There's joy, there's anger, there's sadness, there's Mm -hmm. disgust. Yeah. Uh, You know, spoiler, if you've never seen it, but towards the end of the movie, they realize that they need sadness and sadness plays a huge role into living a fulfilled life. Mm. At first they try to dismiss her. Because they don't want to be sad. They don't want to cry. They don't want to have negative emotions. Mm-hmm. But as the movie progresses, they realize that how important sadness is to the young girl. So essentially they're inside this young girl's brain who's developing their parents move. She has some different, you know, new relation, new school, new teen, you know, all this sorts of stuff. Mm. And they hide this. They try to hide the sadness from her. Mm. And then as the, the story progresses, sadness becomes a major role. Mm. I gotta it's watch a, it's it. a tearjerker. Yeah, I got like like I said, kids books and kids movies kill me. Yeah, but it's great. It's yeah. called Inside Out. It's 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 phenomenal. I actually showed it. I used to show it in my health class when we used to talk mental health. Yeah, because the it just the the roles that they play and anger is this like red guy who just swears a lot and wants to like do stuff <laughs> and like you know it's just disgust. Like they you know it's just really cool how the different emotions can regulate and and manipulate how we behave and respond to our environment in our environment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's an interesting thing that 
Another hypothesis that I have that's utterly and completely untested is just... Well, neither of us are scientists or yeah, doctors, no, by the way. No, I, I have another year before I get some letters next to my name. I think there's something interesting about how we can see a mirror of our mental life in how we move. For me, for example, like I love heavy activities. What I mean by heavy is like, I love like sitting into a yoga pose. I love being still in a yoga pose. I love deadlifts. I love doing things that are slow and heavy. Doesn't that sound a little bit like the way my brain works personality wise? You yeah, know? a little bit. Yeah. One, some things I have difficulty with moving quickly. You ever played golf? I, I tried, I went to a driving range once I was, I had been drinking, so it was, it was a shit show. Not the, not the no. greatest no. first expert. Yeah. No, but. Cause I, I, I imagined golf as like a slower mm. athletic endeavor sure. versus like a basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love going for a long walk, like a four mile walk with a dog. I and mean, my dog is like, Oh my God, bring me home. But <laughs> some things that I, like I said, I struggle with running, doing things fast pulling myself out of something, pulling motions. I'm really good at holding things. If you told me something really dark and heavy, I could hold on to it mm -hmm. and be fine. I can hold a heavy barbell. I can't do a pull-up. Is there a spiritual mental aspect to that? Or is it just my anatomy? Like, am I, is it just my bones or my muscles or Alex O'Dare, the one I, t I talked to you about before, I went to her class a couple of years ago and she, and she was talking about the ways that anxiety and depression show up in our bodies and how when uh, depression is like a hanging off the bone, you know, the muscle hangs off of the bone. And that's exactly how I feel. I'm so mobile I can move so easily, but the ability to like bring it in, bring the muscle back to the bone. Would that be like the anxiety then? Or yeah, the, the anxiety would be like a tight right. wound, you know, I'm so stiff. I can't, I can't even like reach in this direction because I'm so stiff. I'm so anxious. I'm so nervous all the time. Which is even like, we've talked about this a lot in terms of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Like we've talked about, injury in relating to those, right? So how depression, hypermobile people, anxiety, hypertense people. And then we want to be somewhere in the middle. If we talk to red, blue, purple, purple, you know, like you always kind of want to live somewhere, I think in the middle, Yeah, you know, because in terms of what we're trying to always accomplish is trying to people who love yoga traditionally, I would say are people who are already a little bit more flexible. Sure. People who love strength training are people who are usually less flexible and already a little bit strong. Mm -hmm. People who hate yoga, like are people who are not flexible yeah. because it's hard. People who don't like strength training are people who are really flexible and not very quote unquote strong in terms of those positions and movements. So then we kind of got to, in order to, I think, have a, a well balanced body, I guess would be the right way to say it, is you got to find your that middle a little bit. And try to, I think Mike Boyle calls it in terms of filling cups. Mm. So if we have a flexibility cup and a strength cup and a speed, you know, these different things or buckets or whatever you want to call them, like yogis are very full in the flexibility cup 
and they're not very full in the strength. And then like somebody who's a CrossFitter might be very full in the strength cup, but not very full in the flexible cup. So we mm-hmm. might need to switch those buckets up a little bit. Yeah. And what happens when you go too far in one direction? You know, if you're a yoga person and you're really, really flexible and you just know how to like sit into your joints and create all this instability, I I don't think it's a far reach to believe that also that's part of your personality too. Mm-hmm. You probably, maybe you have a hard time making decisions and you have a hard time being authoritative and you have a hard time having boundaries and saying no and saying, you know, versus like someone who is locked up strength wise, you know, they are like so tight, mm-hmm. have a hard time relaxing. Be those A type CEO type personalities. Totally. And then what I think the problem is sometimes is that we just, we go to physical fitness experiences that just exacerbate the problem. 100%. You know, so I am a flexible person. There's a style of yoga called yin yoga, where we just sit in a pose for five or six minutes. Which is mobility wad, right? Totally, yes. And you just let the muscles spread. You let the joints soften. That is the last thing I need. And I don't, and, and, but I used to be so into it because I was like, Oh, this just feels so good. This is like my pattern. This is familiar. My nervous system rests here. So the reason I come here is because I, because it's uncomfortable. Then you recognize that you, you yeah. should probably do a little bit of it. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> like it. And that's, and I'm not saying I don't like it in the tent the sense that like I don't enjoy my experience or I regret it, but like when it's happening, I'm not, I'm not into it mm-hmm. because that's just not how I'm built. I'm, I'm built of a different fabric, but I think that that's another way that you can assess how you're getting to purple. We'll say we should call this podcast the color. Purple. I, I actually I like it. I think there's a movie called The Color Purple. <laughs> yeah, already, but we'll, we'll figure something very out. Very different from what we're yeah. talking about. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I so instead of like oh I'm successful because I lost ten pounds, it's like maybe I can be successful because I did something to to bring me back to middle. Yeah, a little bit more. You know what I think would be very interesting is to do like those androgynous scales. Mm. And see which type of people attend the type of classes that we're thinking about. Yeah. It'd be a cool study. Yeah. Like if you you fall in the more of masculinity type things, like mm-hmm. what type of physical activities are you doing versus the femininity scales and people who are kind of in that middle androgynous type scale. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think gender plays a gigantic role. I mean, we, we could talk about this for, for three days, but just in a quick couple of quick sentences, I think that. I think that it's really okay for men to be inflexible and it's really okay for men to be strong and it's considered kind of divergent. We'll say for men to be flexible and to be soft, Mm -hmm. that's a bad thing in society air quotes. Whereas with women and we've talked, we talked about this in the last time we did the podcast. It's, I mean, what's the one, the one things that you hear all the time when women come in here is I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to grow. I don't want to get bigger. I want to get smaller. Mm-hmm. And that to me screams patriarchy at the top of its lungs. Like men can get gigantic and big and strong and stiff and formidable. And women are expected to get smaller, more flexible, more compact, more attractive air quotes. 
I realize now how much I use air quotes because <laughs> you can't see me. Yeah, um, but this isn't something I'm saying that should be happening. I'm saying it's just something that like, that's the, the nature normal. of the it's beast. It's the norm right now. Yeah. It's the, you know, I, women don't want to get bigger. Men don't want to get smaller. So. And men don't want to be able to do a split. God forbid. No, no, because I want to be able to do a split. I can't, I just can't freaking <laughs> do it. I was almost there during quarantine. I was really close. Really? Yeah. I was dedicating a lot of time to flexibility because I was home and we were, I wasn't lifting as much. Yeah. And I was really close. Really? I was really excited. because I was trying, really trying to do a split. Yeah, so I think that we can we can borrow from each other in terms of masculinity, femininity, and I'm not speaking about gender. I'm speaking about energies and um, right. When I'm talking about androgynous scales, yeah. I'm not talking about you know like who you are. I'm more like who you are on the inside. Yeah, yeah, like the, the your personality traits. Yeah, I mean, and you can say it differently as like yin and yang, yeah. or you know, red and blue, red and blue. That we can we don't need to be so afraid. You know, men don't need to be so afraid of being soft or being vulnerable or being flexible. That is a pacifying thing. And I think that that can be good, especially for men who feel like they need to do everything and be everyone and then die of some kind of stress related issue at 51 tell me that's not the story you know i mean it's very common yeah yeah i mean heart attacks are so gigantic stress disorders are so gigantic with men because they feel like they have to be this person and i can't be feminine at all whereas you know on the other side women feel like they need to be if they adopt masculine tendencies First thing that the first word that you call a woman in a management role is a bitch, you know, no. which is awful. But, you know, you think about women who are in strong power positions being so much more susceptible to criticism. Whereas that's okay for a woman to have a big, gigantic role in an organization. Why is that a problem? Yeah. Why is that a problem? You know, but these aren't things that I think, I don't think any of us, some of us do, and they're probably not listening to this podcast, but um, I think some, I don't think any of us wake up in the morning and we're like, okay, I'm going to put this woman down and I'm going to aggrandize myself or I'm going to do this, 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 and that. It's just something we're so used to seeing in every area of our lives that we just have to pause and be like, I am going to take a little bit from this pot and a little bit from this pot. So I'm more purple than I am red or blue. And I think a lot of it comes from understanding our own biases, mm -hmm. being reflective on those, and then trying to understand where they come from. And then also trying to, like you said, trying to pick from the other pile of our biases that to allow us to get more centered mm -hmm. and more into that, that middle ground where we can be more accepting of everybody, whether big bodied or mm -hmm. little or whether, you know, different color skins, different cultural backgrounds, different genders, gender roles and, mm -hmm. and you know, binary, non-binary, you know, all the different types of people there are in the world. I think the, the closer we are to the center and the closer we can find relatable things and understand that people are people, mm -hmm. I think the better off we're yeah. all going to be. And we all have biases. 100%. That's one thing I learned in this program that was really important 
uh, in my master's program right now is the fact that I think the, the worst thing we can do is to walk through life and say, I, this does sound weird. I love everyone. Mm-hmm. Everybody is great. Yeah, sure. But at the same time, we just have inherent biases that come out as microaggressions. I did it to someone three days ago. I'm in a social work program and I, I, I inadvertently used a microaggression against somebody that I work with three days ago. Yeah. Am I racist? No. Have I benefited from racism? Yeah. Sadly, as a white man living in a racist society, of course I benefit, you know, do I have implicit biases from growing up in Utica, New York in a town called Whitesboro underlined whites with the mascot Boro. of a white man choking an Indian. Yes. So it's kind of, it would be absent minded of me to be like, I'm not biased at all. However, it's just the ability to be like, Whoa, there's a bias moment that came out of my nervous system. Not me, not my soul. Right. My brain, my brain that has seen, you know, the way that race, racism is portrayed in movies, you know, how, how, who's the villain in a movie? You know, we think about fat phobia. Who's the sidekick in a movie? Who's the funny one in the movie? Who's the villain in the movie? The fat guy. Yeah, it's funny because you, you reference, you, you reference all the things and it's exactly what they talk about on that podcast that I, I sent you. Is it? Okay. <laughs> because they talk about the biases that even about the, the, like the fat biases that we have. Yeah. Right. And, and he, and they start it by describing who do you see in cart? Like when you're a kid, like who are the fat characters, you know, like in SpongeBob, it's the, the starfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it? Patrick. Patrick. In South Park, it's Cartman. Mm-hmm. And, and so in, in, in the Simpsons, it's Homer. And he's like, you look at all these different people and like, what are their personalities? They're dumb. Mm-hmm. They're goofy. They're not respected. They're, and then you start having these implicit biases built in from cartoon characters. Precisely. And then the same thing happens with all these different things, depending on what you see as a kid growing up. And then as an adult, they may come out and you know, you're like, wait a second, where did that come from? Exactly. Like, I don't think like that. Exactly. But it just comes out and you're like, oh, I, I, should, I need to like step back and check myself. Yeah. And be like, okay, I don't really think like that, but why did this, where did this come from? Yeah. And I think that's where we can be really tender with ourselves and say like, okay, I had, this is, this is installed in my brain. Like from a long time windows ago, windows was installed in my <laughs> computer in 1994. You know, the chances of it going away are pretty slim. Yeah. I have to notice it. And I'll tell this one story that I use all the time is when I was teaching at a yoga festival once and I, and we had to, we had to divide the, all the teachers up into groups. So we decided to go by the elements. So I was teaching the fire element, the fire class, which meant it was an advanced yoga class. So I, people were coming into the room and they were laying out their mats and this one woman came in and she did not fit the physical bill. You know, I believe so. So in the, um, in the body positivity culture, people are trying to readopt the word fat, mm-hmm. which I'm, I, I'm, you know, fat has always been a swear word to me growing up, but I'm enjoying reclaiming it. So 
Um, we'll say this fat woman walked in older and I was like, Oh God, she's not going to hang in this class. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm not, I don't know how to help her. Like I, I was, I was younger in my teaching career and she had all of her props and she laid everything out and she was so wide eyed and she was so like ready to take this class and I didn't say anything. And she was miles ahead of everyone else in that class. She knew exactly how to adapt for her body. She had all of her props. She was like a ninja. She was just like, had all these, she picked up a block here, put the block down here, did this, to this. She knew Stretching exactly. Stretching strap here, stretching yes. strap, yeah. <laughs> oh, she just, she just knew it. She, she knew it so, so, so well. And then I was like, there was a moment that I needed to grow up. Right. And I was like, okay. And I think it's the same thing that when we, as people who run fitness and wellness spaces to see a fat body walk in and to not assume that they need special help, that they need modifications. I don't use the word modifications anymore in teaching yoga after eight years. Yeah, I use the word variations now because... I, I, there are people five times my size in this gym who can run circles around me, Mm -hmm. period. So those biases will always be there because of what you were talking about. Yeah. The movie that called, it was a movie called The Hustle, I think, with Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson and the premise. Did you see that? Have you heard this? No. The premise was like they're two con artists and one is like cool, slick and sexy and controlled. And the other one is like a blundering idiot, like making, you know, mistakes all the time. Who do you think was the blundering idiot? Not Anne Hathaway. Not Anne Hathaway. (laughs) Not Academy Award winning America's Sweetheart Anne Hathaway. No, it was Rebel Wilson, who's always probably going to be cast as the funny, fat sidekick. Is she the one in a... Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect. Yeah. Pitch Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, Bridesmaid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, she was in Bridesmaids. No, she wasn't. Wasn't she the, she was oh, the creepy no. roommate in yes, Bridesmaids. she was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she was. Yeah, and that's since she got like her big claim to fame there. You know, now, will she ever win an Academy Award for a dramatic role? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. What would probably have to happen for that to happen? She might, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, yeah. have to lose all that weight. Maybe. Maybe. But there's, I, I don't know the history of the Academy Awards or awards in general, but I, I guess I could look into that and see if there's any big-bodied people who might have. In the past couple of years, I'd say no. One, yeah. something. Yeah, it's definitely narrow. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the first woman of color won Best Director ever this past time, ever, the entirety of the Academy Awards, they were they started airing when it was black and white. Yeah. The first woman of color won Best Director in 2021. And we say we're not. See, I don't, I don't you know, it's, it's funny, like, I don't, I, I guess I don't, I don't pay attention to pop culture, I guess, as much mm. to even know that that was a thing. Mm. Does that make sense? Because like, I, I didn't know that, I didn't know either of those statistics that you oh yeah 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 it's that's definitely a thing definitely a thing it's 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 um 
And then you wonder, it's like, and then we wonder why, you know, and it's, it's the word that I think is insidious. It's not that the Academy wakes up in the morning and they're like, we're just going to give our awards to white people. We're just going to give our awards to thin people. We're just going to do, it's composed of human beings with human tendencies and biases. And I think that we all need to look in the mirror and say, okay, what? forms my opinions. Yeah. And I think that's huge. Like Jeff was saying, and I think we're, we're running at our time limit right about now. Right. So I think what Jeff is, we talked about a couple of times we hit it, we keep hitting upon it, but in terms of the fitness landscape, like our biases and things that we look at, you know, underneath the surface can affect how we feel, how we perform and how we judge mm-hmm. the other people around us. And it's important to sit back and be reflective to allow ourselves to give ourselves some freedom to do the things that we really want to do, whether if we're, you know, quote unquote fat and we want to do yoga or if we're fat and we want to go do something else, you know, like maybe go and run and do marathon training or whatever those things might be that don't fit our archetype or our Mm -hmm. body image or whatever that is at that particular moment and give ourselves the freedom to do the thing we truly want to do. That's deep down in our souls and, and not be judgmental of ourselves. Because at the end of the day, I think one of the things that a lot of folks worry about is how other people look at them. Mm -hmm. But we are always our own biggest critics. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have all these stories about in my head about what people think about me. Especially what you think I, they think about oh, yeah, you. Oh yeah, yeah. Like and and when I when I come here, I'm always looking around. I'm like, I bet you this person thinks this, and this person thinks this, and this person. I'm like, I bet you they don't even know who I am. Yeah. They're like, oh, that's like the smart ass in the corner that doesn't do the 800 meter run. Like <laughs> who never finishes a warm up. Who doesn't finish a warm up? That's probably like <laughs> all I am to these people. You know. But meanwhile, I'm like, they can see my deep dark secrets, which in the social work world is called projection. It's how sure. I feel about myself. So I'm going to assign that to you. You think this about me, but really I think about it about myself. 100%. But to your point, you were just saying, I think that we, we can change, you know, people say like, can you change your destiny or are you fated to something? And I think that without intervention, I probably would still be on the couch. Right watching housewives. I still watch, I still watch housewives on the couch, but now I'm just a little less, but without intervention, that wouldn't have changed. But what I've realized and I've learned is that that intervention is uncomfortable. 100%. That isn't, it is not easy. And it means going to, it's, it's, it means going to a yoga class when you don't want to go or going to a fitness class when you don't want to go. Not in the sense of like, I need to do this because I need to burn 3000 calories, but I need to do this because it is it, I, it's course correcting me from something from from going down a path toward like my own oblivion a little bit so my advice if i could offer is to just be really kind to yourself in discomfort and be like oh this is this is hard for me this workout class is hard for me this lift is hard for me the fact that I had to do an 800 meter run, but I only did 400 meters on the air runner because I didn't want to run outside because I get anxious running Mm -hmm. next to people. That's okay. That's hard for me. My hand over my heart and I say, oh, that's tough. And then you move on. Exactly. You know, instead of 
anything else. So my advice. Yeah. And we'll leave you with that. The road to change is bumpy. Yes. The and road to purple. The road to purple is bumpy and there's going to be some challenges and some roadblocks in the way. Mm-hmm. Just keep it going. And that's how you're going to eventually find your prime. Wow. There's the plug. Have a great day. <laughs> and I hope you enjoyed. Listen, listen next time. Thanks. See ya. Thanks again for hanging out with us for another episode of the Prime Podcast. If you're looking to find more on Jeff, you can find him on Instagram at thatbeardedyogi. His name is Jeff Percienti. If you're looking for the right Jeff. And as usual, we appreciate you listening. And if you liked it, go give us a nice review, some five stars or whatever in the platform that you're listening to, whether that's Apple or Spotify. We always love some feedback. Or if you have any ideas for topics that you'd like us to talk about, shoot us a message, show us some love, and we'll see you or talk to you next time. Said I'm at my prime.